So, so you guys are legitimately saying that that Rogue One's opening sequence is terrible. Uh, I'm legitimately parroting what other people have said because I have not seen the film. Oh, <laughs> but, okay. but that's what I've heard. Yeah, I'm just talking about like the title credits, where where you actually get to see the Rogue One words on the screen. Oh, I agree. What the heck? Like they went with a new t- with a new font. That was lame. It was awful. <laughs> yeah, I mean, if you're gonna do a proper Star Wars opening, just do it. Don't do a half-assed right. attempt. This was like, do the Star Wars music too. Here's here's the thing. I don't know if this is a deliberate choice by the filmmakers. It could very well be, uh, but it, it felt awkward to me. Oh yeah. It took over half an hour for me to start feeling that I was watching a Star Wars movie, and the more I watch the more it felt like a Star Wars movie. But at the beginning, it really doesn't. I would have said the first 15 minutes were like a parody. That's what I, I honestly <laughs> thought it was a parody. <laughs> Probably. The first 15 wow. minutes or so. Yeah, but it's, I mean, it's great because it, it just starts easing you into the atmosphere. And the more you watch, the the more into it you get. And by the end of the movie, it's like you're you're there watching episode four all over again. Right. So it's great. And, and that way, it, the, the climax, it's of course at the very, very end of the movie, which is... Particularly, it's a, it's a style that, that I like. Some other movies uh, have a, an earlier climax and then the last 10 minutes or so are just closure and boring and whatever. This one isn't. Yeah, this is like kick-ass right, yeah. right to the very end. <laughs> it's amazing. I really enjoyed the movie. I, I've never seen I've never seen any movie that I that where the climax was like like literally pushed me in the back of my seat and I'm going holy crap did that just happen? Yeah, it was great. That was me. I walked out of the theater smiling like a little boy. It was fantastic. <laughs> but the first 15 minutes, I was sh- shaking my head endlessly. Well, I guess if you're going to make part of your film exciting, it may as well be the ending, right? Because that's what sticks with people, right? Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, I agree with the with the decision. I think it was a smart one because everybody leaves the theater like super excited and happy that they watched the movie. So that's that's a very smart right. choice. Very Disney-like move there. So so really quick before we jump into everything, all the other crazy cool stuff, Alvaro, where would you rank this as of like Star Wars movies? I think I know what your opinion is already, but where, where would you put it? Out of the seven movies that... Eight movies? Eight movies that have been created now. Where would you rank it? Well, uh, it's a... It's a tough one. I think it would be either third or fourth. Or fourth behind. My favorite is episode five, Empire Strikes Back. There's no doubt about that. My second favorite is episode four, the original movie, uh, now called A New Hope. But originally that was a movie called just Star Wars, which is awesome. And I don't know. Then I kind of want to say Return of the Jedi because it closes the original trilogy and it's, oh, it has, it has the whole going... myth going no. for it, you know? Just bear with me. Oh. But if I have to be honest, I do believe this is a better movie. Like Rogue One is a better movie than Return of the Jedi because that one wasn't very original. But it gives you that fantastic closure for the original trilogy, like with the whole Vader finally returning to the light side and the emperor getting thrown down the reactor shaft and whatever. So it, it ah! because yeah. it's the end of the story that we love so much, I, I just have a soft spot for Return of the Jedi in my heart, but I, I, I freely admit that it is not as good a movie as, as Rogue One, which I think is good. Very, very good. Miles ahead of Proud episode of seven in my book. Definitely. Yeah. You know, yeah. I, I get you. We talked about this on Slack or Basecamp or whatever we use these days now. But uh, you were chatting and you had said like that episode four and five, you know, five totally revamped 
just basically threw all of the success of episode four to the wind and then did its own thing. And it was amazing. And I like, there's like a generational gap, I think between four and five and rogue one. So it's hard to compare almost like apples to oranges in a way. Right. Um, without a doubt, this is better than episode seven. I didn't dislike episode seven. I loved it actually. Um, but this is my single favorite ro- or star Wars movie ever. And it's, if only, if only, because like as a kid growing up, I watched, you know, episode four, five, and six, they were all out already you know, the, 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 I am your father thing in episode five, like that wasn't breathtaking, like groundbreaking for me as a kid. Like I had heard people say that through like fans, spinning fans, you know, because they sounded so cool. I'd already heard it. I didn't, you know, so it, it wasn't the big, like, boom, amazing thing that ever that hit people that were sitting in the theater in 1980 or whenever the movie came out. Well, but there wasn't anything, there wasn't anything of that caliber in Rogue One. So it's, it's not a, a, a movie that really surprises you like that no no no. but but hear me out though like because of that okay i always thought that vader was like this big teddy bear like so realistically in episode four five and six when do we see vader do any badass stuff when does he ever do anything like mean so he lifts the one guy above his head in episode four that's one and he kills obi-wan but like let's get real here obi-wan kills himself so does he ever do anything mean to anybody in this one he finally does something mean He's finally a badass. <laughs> I mean, I agree. They, they they really went for maximum impact with Vader in this movie, which is awesome to see. But on the in the original trilogy, I mean, he's he's a badass, and and his character originally wasn't intended as the main villain of the story, or even just that big a, a character in the in the trilogy. If you watch Episode Four. He's just a minion of the emperor. He's just there to oversee. He's like a thug, you know. He enforces the emperor's will. Yeah, but but he's not. He's not even bad. Like he's like a teddy bear. He's like the the teddiest. He's like the softest bad guy in movie history. He's like force choking people left and right. Or that's an empire, I think. But he doesn't kill anybody. Yeah, he does. I don't know. Maybe I grew up in a day and age when like when bad guys need to kill people. <laughs> he kills like. Four or five of, or, or, of his lieutenants in, in like 10 minutes of the movie because they fail <laughs> yeah, him and they disappoint uh, him. And it's like, you have failed me for the last time. Okay. Okay. So, but they're all bad guys. So bad guys killing bad guys doesn't have the same effect as bad guys killing good guys. And he chops off Hans Luke, uh, Luke's hand. But after the whole, I am your father thing. So you're like, you're going, oh, you're blown away. And now you're kind of feeling for him because you're like, you're trying to justify how he can be a Skywalker. And no, it, he is the the biggest softy bad guy ever in the, like basically in villain history. And now after Rogue One, he's probably the baddest bad guy in villain history. You know, I disagree. He's a, he's a very threatening character precisely because you don't ever see him do anything that huge. It's just like, you get the feeling that he could do it. You're waiting for him to fly off the handle. <laughs> but but now but now we, we get to see him fly off the handle and it's actually like legit. They need to have another in between episode three and four where we get to see Vader just like, just, they, they should have like a Vader, not an origin story because that's been done and destroyed already. But like, I don't know, something where the guy steps in again and just continues like the the order 66 assault or something i don't know but yeah. just gotta see the guy dominate anyway you just want to see him dismembering people without even caring who who, who they are yeah, yeah. just want to see him be a badass i just love it like just force choking 10 people at once and then slicing it anyway no that, that gets a little gory it's the perfect holiday disney movie <laughs> Merry Christmas. Anyway, I think that his use, like how they, how powerful they show him at the end of Rogue One, I think that they will, um, 
I think that that's going to correspond or translate to Luke in episode eight. I, I think that we're going to see some some seriously cool stuff in episode eight. Um, you know how you know how episode four to five that jump where five was totally different than episode four and five was more successful and better. I anticipate we're. I, I'm, I'm my fingers are crossed that we're going to see the same thing. The I haven't read a whole lot about episode eight. Like I've read very, very little, but what I've heard is that the script is entirely different than anything we've ever seen. Um, nice. So yeah, maybe the the um, the template for Star Wars from you know jumping from the from launching to the second story. Maybe we're going to see that again. Yeah, here, here's hoping. I mean, I would definitely love to see that. And uh, to to go back to the role that Rogue One plays into the whole universe of Star Wars, I I think this movie is very satisfying. But you need to have watched the original trilogy and cared for it to really enjoy it and to really come out of the theater with a huge smile on your face. Like if this is the first Star Wars movie you ever see, you're going to, my guess is you're going to come out of the theater like saying, okay, yeah, it was cool, but you're not going to be blown away. And this is, that's the reason why it doesn't rank as my favorite Star Wars movie ever, because you need to have watched the others to to really enjoy it. And it, in a way, it doesn't stand on its own merit, which the first ones do. Ooh, I, I want to talk about this endlessly. Yeah. But no, we can't. Okay. We can't. Because I think that the title of this of this podcast episode is actually takes a, a cue from a totally different trilogy. <laughs> yeah, or, or exology? Is it when there are six movies? Oh, right. <laughs> I just want to know when this became a film um, podcast. Like, I've been sitting here for 10 and a half minutes. You guys are chatting about film. This is candid. <laughs> I don't hear you complaining. Oh. <laughs> all right. All right. All right. All right. If you want, we could talk about the, we can talk about like, you know, the great, amazing environments and all of the, the never mind. I think, I think Rogue One was edited on Final Cut Pro, which is sort of halfway <laughs> related to photography. So I think, I think we have a segue there. I think it counts. Yeah, I'll take it. That's fine. <laughs> <laughs> so, weaving our way back to um, to photography, um, we, we yeah we've we've had a little bit of a of a gap in our recording, mostly because um, our schedules have been kind of crazy. It's funny how that happens going into the holidays, but um, because it may be the last episode before um, the end of the year, we we kind of wanted to steer clear of some of the. Um, gear heavy, like gift idea type episodes that uh, you'll probably be hearing on other podcasts and, and YouTube channels. So we have a, a slightly different um, topic for you. But before we get to that, there is a little bit of news that we should catch up on. Um, and I think I want to start with, uh, Alro, you've been putting a lot of work into something of late. So tell us a little bit about what's been sapping your time. <laughs> this is exactly what we said we wouldn't talk about. It's, it's a camera guide, which is perfect for the holiday gifts. Uh, yeah. <laughs> so maybe, maybe we should skip this uh, and, <laughs> and talk about something else. Oh, if, if you want, I can talk about it. But after that intro, I think it feels a little bit... Yeah, no, I lied. Did we, you we... publish it already? No, uh, but I, I will probably finish it tonight and maybe hit publish tonight or, or tomorrow at the latest. So by the time the episode airs, it, it will be out. Nice. Yeah, I can't wait to read it. I mean, yeah, we did we did say we won't talk about gear, but I'm talking about like the uh the actual main topic. You know, I think this counts. This is news. This doesn't count. Okay. So, yeah, I've been I've been working for a while on a camera guide, mirrorless camera guide, uh because I get asked a lot what camera should I should I buy? Uh, I I I'm sure it happens to the both of you as well very often. And it's a it's a very complicated question to answer. So I figured if I have 
this article on my side, I can just point people towards it and just be done with it. Uh, because it's really, I, there's not a single answer. You cannot tell somebody, this is the best camera you can buy. I, I mean, every time I get a, asked that question, my response is always the same. It depends on what you plan on doing with it. Yeah. Because photography is like this incredibly diverse and, and vast uh, craft. And, and a, a camera might be great for travel, but it, it, that doesn't mean it's going to be great in a studio, for example. Or a camera might be awesome for street photography, but it might really suck <laughs> at uh, landscape photography, for example. So it really depends on what you're, what you're planning to do with it. Uh, so what I did was try to come up with a, a set of categories. You know, I divided the, the guide in, in several categories, like travel photography, landscape photography, uh, action, sports, shooting. Uh, I think there was also uh, portrait and studio photography, uh, wildlife, low light photography, that sort of, those, that sort of thing. Whoa. And for each one of those categories, I have selected a winner, so to speak. And then I have also an honorable mention. Uh, and the way I've decided which camera is the winner is basically all about technical merit. Like this is not a subjective guide as to which ones are my favorite or which ones I enjoy shooting with the most. This is just, if you want to buy the best camera, uh, you know, the, the best the, the market has to offer right now, that's where you'll find it. That's, that's what I'm uh, putting out there. Right. And then I have done something new because I think that's not the whole story. And we've talked about this on the show before at length. Uh, tech specs are not really, they don't tell the whole story about a camera. So I felt there was something missing and I've decided to do something new. I've created the first ever Editor's Choice Award in the history of my site. And I'm giving it a to the best camera of 2016, the one I recommend for most people. And that's where I take into account the sort of intangible aspects of a camera. Like, is it well designed? Like the controls, do they feel right? Does it make sense where everything is located on the camera? Right. Uh, does it feel good to shoot with the camera? Is it enjoyable? Is it? Does it feel like a chore when you have to go out and take some pictures or do you actually enjoy taking your camera out every day? Uh, that sort of thing is very important when you're considering buying a camera. And unfortunately, uh, especially in the tech circles that we, we tend to frequent on the internet, that story doesn't get told a whole lot. Uh, so that's where I try to draw a line in the sand and say, okay, everything you've heard up to this point is all about tech specs and which cameras are pushing the state of the art in the industry, which is important. But this is my personal recommendation. This is what I think most people should get because that's what's going to ultimately make them shoot more and shoot better images, hopefully as a result. So that's it. So Marius, let's take a quick bet. Let's take a quick bet. What do you think his uh, editor's choice camera is? X-T2. Yeah, okay, dang. That's exactly what I was going to say. I was hoping you were going to say X-Pro2 so that we could at least fight nope. over something, but this is clearly <laughs> obvious. Nope, I think it's X-T2. Are, are we right? <laughs> ding, ding, ding. Yeah, yeah, you're so. right. Yeah, most predictable ever. But I think I told you before. <laughs> no, I don't think it's, no. this is the first... This is the first that I've, I'm hearing of this editor's choice part of it. So I, I don't think you told us before, but I just, I know your feelings on that camera after you, uh, after you used it. Yeah. And it's like, I think that's a very good approach to this. I, like, I, I do get asked this question a lot. And to be honest, I, I think I've tried once or twice to approach an article kind of like this. And I've always given up because 
every time I have this discussion with someone, it veers off into totally different directions. And and very often what, what ends up being the deciding factor is not so much that they say, oh, I'm interested in uh, portraiture and travel or something like that. The the sort of um, discussion revolves around things like how serious do you want to be um, with photography as a hobby? Like, right. Like something like, I just want something better than my iPhone. Like that's what they always say. Exactly. Yeah, right. Yeah. And and so that's a very different way of categorizing things versus the uh, technical aptitudes of, of the camera itself. So that's why I always, I, I felt like some people will benefit from a guide that's structured that way. Other people will benefit from a guide that's structured a different way. So I've just, I've never been able to wrap my head around right. a way to present um, an answer to that or like a guide that I can just say, you know what? It, don't ask me, don't bother me, read that. And then- come back, right? I've never been able to assemble my version of that. So the fact that you've found a way to, uh, to, to do this is extremely admirable. I can't wait to, uh, to read it because if it works, then I'm just going to point people to yours. I don't even have to have my own opinions. It's perfect. <laughs> Affiliate revenue yeah. 101. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I'm not complaining if you do that. Definitely. And it only took me like 8,000 words to <laughs> explain everything. Oh, so not yeah. bad. Not bad you've done your work. A small book. Sell it as a PDF. Oh, that's not a bad idea. Actually. I know, right? But I don't know that people would be willing yeah, to no, pay for that. But anyway, food for thought. Uh, that's cool, though. I look forward to it. We'll uh, we'll add a link in the show notes because by the time you're hearing this, it's probably going to be published. And uh, yeah, hopefully it'll be helpful. Fingers crossed. <laughs> yeah. So, so speaking of the game show, let's just quickly point this out because I think there was... Earlier in the year, there was this little running bet that said that I was going to be the guy who was going to buy at least one camera between Ooh. whatever June, June and, and then the end of December. And and so Which you did. Right. So since we were on this game show topic, I, what do you mean? What I'm doing the double take here. What you bought? You bought the OMD <laughs> EM1 Mark II along with me. It didn't work out, but we yep. did both buy it. So I did win the bet. Yeah. Pre-orders count. Holy smoke! Like you guys are lawyers, you know there must be a little fine print at the bottom of this little bet. Yeah, look, that you I, signed I the paperwork. No, no, come on, we've that's said not this how this before. works. That's that's not how this works. So, long story short, is you know we signed onto this bet six months ago, and I'm going to be the villain at the end of the day, and I'm going to be buying all these cameras because I can't control the pocketbook in my pocket. And lo and behold, the guy who I placed the bet with has bought probably four times as many cameras as me in that same time frame. So, <laughs> how does this work? Marius, why don't you tell us a little bit more about that? Well, it works very well because because I did not include myself in that bet. I bet that you would buy new cameras. <laughs> this is like the most double standard show ever. You could have turned it around on uh, me back then when we made the bet, but you didn't think to. See, now in retrospect, next time you will. Oh, next time you will. See, yeah. So what we're going to do is we'll, we'll make a bet for the 2017. And by the end of that, you, I'm sure, will have bought a Sony camera and then sold it and come back to... Oh, wait, why don't you tell us about the original time that happened? <laughs> yeah, so uh, the, reason, <laughs> the reason that I'm being made fun of here is because um, in, the, uh, in the past couple of weeks or so, I, um, I had a sort of wave of nostalgia hit me because around this time last year, I was working with the pre-production version of the X-Pro2 and uh, I, I basically had just that camera and the then new 35mm F2 and it was a really, really excellent combination. I loved it. I ended up buying the uh, the camera. And um, anyway, the year passed. And as you guys know from previous episodes, I uh, I had an opportunity to work with a Pen F and ended up buying one of those instead. And a lot of that decision was based on certain logical factors that made sense 
Chumi, um, things like sharing lenses between the video and photo sides of our little agency operation and, um, you know, having a compact kit, having the image stabilization, having all of those advantages that come with the Micro Four Thirds uh, ecosystem. But what I discovered in, um, in the absence of my Fuji cameras is that all of those technical things do not add up to a better photographic experience for me. And I found myself very keenly missing that X-Pro2 as the uh, as the holiday seasons approached again. So um, I'm I'm basically admitting defeat. I, I uh, made the, the wrong call. And honestly, I feel a little dumb for it because, well, a lot dumb for it because I fell into the same trap that we have been advising other people to, uh, to avoid, which is letting... Um, technical considerations um, drive your gear making or gear purchasing decisions. And so this is uh, this is a clear example of why not to do that because you uh, you end up... Well, hey, admitting the problem is, is step one, right? Yeah, yeah. So I'm on my way back. <laughs> I think you're being a little too harsh on yourself because if you think about it objectively, the Pen F is not a technically better camera than the X-Pro2. I suppose that's true, yeah. So your original argument, I think, was valid. You went th to the Pen F because it felt like a more enjoyable shooting experience to you at the time. And you did have both of them for a while, didn't you? Yeah, I did. So that's right. You made a, you made a, a, a judgment call, which was, I think, the right call with the information you had at the time. And then the, the, the problem here is that human beings are funny that way, yes. is that we get all nostalgic and we start reminiscing about past experiences. And that's where you start to get a little bit confused. And sometimes the, the only way to move past that is to just go back and test your original assumption, which is what you're doing now. Yeah. And for what it's worth, I think you're going to be happy back in Fujiland and I don't think you're going to be like, I don't think you're going to regret uh, switching back. No, no. I mean, it's, it's fairly clear that, that I'm, uh, I had initially found my, my photographic home and I was just wandering a little bit. But, uh, the truth is that that is the, the camera system that seems to be the best fit for my needs and for the, the way that I, uh, like to shoot and I get along with the lenses and everything like that. So yeah, long story short, I have been, uh, slowly transitioning back um, I've got, uh, it's interesting because I actually, because of the, the way that I've been buying and selling the, uh, the gear, I've ended up, um, being able to assemble almost an ideal Fuji lens kit. Um, by, by the time everything arrives, I, I've, I picked up a, a 56 mil, um, in pretty bad cosmetic condition, but it's, it's optically perfect. And I got it for a steal. Um, I bought a, an almost brand new 16 mil lens for a crazy discount. Uh, and it came with the, the separate hood. Um, and I, I can't wait to, to start shooting with that lens again, because I had reviewed it um, a little more than a year ago and, and totally fell in love with it. Um, and then I've got the, uh, the 35 F2 coming in with, uh, with a brand new X pro two body. So those should show up this week. And then, uh, then I'm complete again, again. Yeah. Nice. <laughs> complete again. Should we, should we take this moment guys and like place our bets for 2017, put them all on paper so that next year when the shoe is on the other foot, I'm not getting destroyed, you know, like the way I would be if I had bought another camera between, you know, six months ago and today. Well, I think if we do that, you are going to get destroyed. Well, no, because I'm going to bet that I'm going to buy a camera. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Only one though. 
Well, yeah. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> we don't have to put them on paper. Yeah, we're, we'll have to think of it. I've, I've got to think of a cleverer bet for next year because this one, this one was a bit easy. I, I admit it was not was not that fair. Easy, easy. How is this easy? You lost. I won. <laughs> I was not part of the bet. No? <laughs> anyway, so yeah, that's that's the story of of me going there and back again to Fuji, uh, where I will happily remain. I'm going to hold you to that. Yeah, I think for what it's worth, this is, uh, I'm debating this every day. I I love the Fuji system and uh, sometimes I get urges to to switch myself. Uh, I'm not enough to do anything about it, but but yeah, it's it's in my head. Well, come the 19th, Come the nineteenth, you might have some some additional temptation um, to contend with. So Ooh. I look forward to seeing everyone. Is that some insider information you want to share with us? No, not really. Okay. Okay, fair enough. <laughs> Long story short, Marius, I'll jump over to your. I'll jump into your camp if uh, if somebody can convince me to get the GFX. Yeah, I mean, I wouldn't. I wouldn't even try yeah. again. I, I know that you you like it because it's got bigger numbers on paper and everything, but it's not. It's it's yeah. really not. Um, I I don't think that that would be a, a good camera choice for you. Uh, it's it's just not a. It's not a practical system. No, I really want to try it. I'd love to try it. I wonder if I could rent it. Yeah, like I I. I'm right there with you. I'd love to try it. I, I can't wait to to get my hands on it and to work with it a little bit. But it's not um, for for the kind of shooting that that we do. It's it really doesn't make sense to spend that kind of money on that kind of system. You know, if we had disposable income. Yeah, and it's not even about the money because if you even if you had money to spare, or if somebody said, "Here's for free a, a brand new GFX with all the lenses for you," yeah, you wouldn't use it because yeah. it's just too big, too heavy, too bulky. How do you know? It's And it's slow. It's going to be very slow because there are just a ton of pixels there to move around. I think it's going to be, from a performance standpoint, it's going to be nothing to write home about. I think it's going to be a very conservative camera. We'll see, of course, because Fuji has been very good at at keeping this under wraps. Early reports place it in terms of uh, like autofocus performance somewhere in the vicinity of the X-T1, which to me is quite impressive. Right. Like if they manage to get X-T1 level autofocus performance on a digital medium format mirrorless body, that's insane. Um, and, and, and that would put it like immediately into its own category as far as, uh, as just... I, mostly when you think of um, medium format, you think of a more deliberate working pace. So if you had even just that amount of speed to work with, that opens up a lot of doors for interesting new uh, contexts for using medium format. So True, true. But autofocus performance is just part of the story. I was more referring to burst speed and right. yeah, that, that of kind course. of thing. And for example, I, I've shot with the Hasselblad X1D, which is the sort of the natural competitor to the Fuji, uh, which is already out. It's been out for a couple of months. And that camera is slow. Like, I think it it can only shoot like one and a half frames per second. Right. So if you're going to try and capture movement or shoot sports or whatever, forget about it. Like it's, it's not usable for yeah. that. And that's why I think Fuji... I mean, they might do better than that, but I'm not expecting them to just blow the Hasselblad out of the water in terms of performance, in terms of raw speed. Right. Uh, the autofocus might be excellent. Yeah, I, I, I mean, they're very good 
at that too. Yeah. It'll have to be a combination of things, I think. It'll have to, you know, the, the combination between the size, the quality of the optics that are, you know, the, the lenses are no doubt going to be very good. Um, and price. I think that's where, you know, somewhere in between all of those factors is where uh, Fuji will hopefully make it uh, definitely competitive with the X1D. I mean, that's the main, that's the main rival. And I guess the, um, uh, what's the other one? The 645. Um, Pendax. The, yeah, that's the one. Uh, so, you know, it, they've definitely got um, some competition there, but I think that they're poised to uh, to become the kind of go-to camera in that space, again, just because of the, the combination of factors. So I, I can't wait. It's going to be interesting to see how that hits the market and, and how everyone reacts to it. Right, and not to get too focused on the on the specs, but there's something that's worth keeping in mind, which is that, yes, these are medium format sensors because they're bigger than full frame, uh, but they are very much on the small side of medium format. Yeah, they're just a little bit bigger than full frame. This is not the traditional six by four and a half centimeters, which is the the most popular medium format film size. Right. So, it's it's a lot smaller than that. So yes, you're going to get improvements over full frame in terms of dynamic range. Uh, but for example, both the Hasselblad X1D and the Fuji GFX, they have 50 megapixel sensors, which is sounds like a lot, but it's really not unheard of because the Canon 5DSR has had a 50 megapixel sensor for a while already, and that's a full frame camera. So you're getting a lot more pixel density on that camera than you will get on the medium format ones. Right. But of course, the, the other side of that is the pixel size, right? Because... You've got a bigger sensor, so yeah, of course. So that that's what I meant. So dynamic range will be improved, light sensitivity will be much better. Well, much better. It will be better, but I, I don't think we're going to see uh, a tremendous jump in image quality from uh, the the state of the art full frame cameras of today to those ones. Uh, and that's why the price gap might be a little bit harder to justify for many people. I mean, other than dedicated studio professionals who are shooting in a studio every day for clients, headshots, models, product, whatever. Those are the ones who will buy this camera yeah. because it'll it'll improve their workflow and their output. But everybody else is just you're going to look at it and it's going to it costs four times as much and it only gives me a 30% improvement. So it's just not worth it. Yeah, I'm, it's it's one of those things. I'm I'm reserving judgment until we start to see the early reviews, and hopefully I'll be able to actually be one of those. Um, but either way, it's it's one of those things where it's such a fresh product and it's such a a category that that I personally don't have that much familiarity with that it's it's hard for me to know what to expect from it. And I think even Fuji is trying to uh, to sort of go around what people are expecting and and hit us with some surprises um so we'll we'll see i mean it, it's one of those things that we kind of just have to wait on at this point but it's good to be excited about it yeah definitely i mean it's the first really innovative product that we've seen in a while so it's it's great to to see what they're doing and and how it works out. You don't think relaunch is innovative? Oh boy, don't get me started on that. <laughs> I, don't, I haven't had nearly enough beer for that oh, <laughs> for that <man>. topic yet. <laughs> this this was so funny. I So friend of the show, Thomas Wong, reached out on Twitter maybe last week or two weeks ago or whenever it was. And he asked me if I'd seen this, this new service thing called relaunch. And I said no, and I investigated and it. It's this, it's like the purest 
form of Silicon Valley idiocy that you could possibly find applied to photography. It's it's like a subscription service where you rent a camera that's wrapped in a garish leather thing and this camera automatically uploads your photos. You can't see them until the next day when it has automatically processed them for you and it will, at its own discretion, delete photos that it doesn't think you will like. And on top of that, you get to pay for the privilege of getting those photos. So it's like it's like the the weirdest nightmare scenario that you could possibly imagine for an actual photographer. I I am I thought it was a joke. To be yeah. perfectly honest, I thought it was a joke. Turns out it's not a joke. This is a real thing. And uh, yeah, wow. It's yeah. <laughs> I'm right there with you. I thought it was an April uh, April's Fool's joke. Yeah, just out of season. It's it's remarkable that that this is actually a thing that that's been brought to market. And what's funny is that uh, I don't know if you you caught this little detail, but the camera that's inside that uh, that leather condom that they've put around it is actually a Samsung Galaxy NX. Oh, that just makes it so much better. Right? It's an entire system that was discontinued like five <laughs> years ago. Uh, maybe it hasn't been that long yet. But either way, it's like a discontinued camera system. And I think that the only reason they chose it is because they've probably got a custom Android build or something uh, that's in <laughs> they there. They probably bought them in bulk. Yeah, seriously, like it's it's just <laughs> unbelievable. The the all like the more you read about this, the the more crazy it sounds. Um, but yeah, no, it's a it's a real thing. So there you go. I'm totally gonna get one of these. Oh man, Josh, you're buying one of these. Well, you can't buy it. <laughs> you can't buy it. You've just you subscribe. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh my god. <laughs> And, but hey, hey, you get one whole photo every day. So oh that's a God. lot. <laughs> <laughs> this is crazy, man. I can't even deal. I can't even deal with it. I, honestly, I'm, I feel a little bad. I didn't want to mention them on the show because they don't deserve the attention. But it's so ridiculous. It it's, it can't be avoided. So anyway, that's that is a thing that is out in the world now, ladies and gentlemen. This has been 2016. Yeah, don't buy it. Quite frankly, just don't buy it. Oh, my God. This is just, I mean, you can't make this stuff up. (laughs) It really looks like a prank website. It's incredible. Like, I'm, you know what, what would be perfect is if, you know, at some point in the near future, they just came out and were like, guys, guys, we're kidding. This is not, this is not a real thing. Come on. Like if it's, it's I think it's a joke because if you try to book one, it says delivery by mid 2018 or later. Yeah, exactly. Like it's, it's suspicious. (laughs) It's like a whole year and a half from now or later. So I, I, this is, this has got to be a joke. Oh man. It's, uh, it's pretty special. But Hey, if one of our listeners, uh, gets their hands on one of these, please, by all means, uh, don't write to tell us how it is. Yeah, God, no, don't. You just you enjoy your one photo a day or whatever your ration is. Just keep yeah. it to yourself. Just be, we, we don't want to know. All right, moving on. Yeah, we should get to the main topic, which is a lot more optimistic and, and thoughtful and intelligent. Um, <laughs> it's, it's not like there's a very tall bar here. Yeah, seriously, after... after <laughs> um, but I came across an article that was um, kind of talking about the um, something that we we touched upon on a previous episode relatively recently, but it's the idea that um, these days younger photographers are um, perhaps having more of a difficult time learning how to properly um, think of images, not just in terms of an individual shot and the value of, of that individual shot and the storytelling within that, that single frame, but as a series, whether it's like a photo essay or uh, you know, an article or whatever it is, it's just the, 
the skill of being able to tell a story through a series of images and being able to establish a set of aesthetic consistency and narrative consistency between multiple images that uh, is a skill that we're kind of starting to lose a little bit. Um, I, I think that's the the thesis here. Um, and I definitely think that they're onto something. Uh, I, I noticed that even within my, my own work. Um, and it's a little scary because I think that there's, it's almost strange to be so obsessed over each image individually when really part of the appeal of photography is um, what they say when you collect them together. You know, we, that's why people used to make photo albums, right? That's the whole point. And we're starting to get away from that or we're starting to get away from um, intentional photo albums and we're starting to get to basically Google Photos smart searches. Right. Which it's a very different sort of thing when I search for dogs and Google Photos algorithmically finds all the dogs versus me creating an album of my dog or, you know, whatever the case may be. So that's kind of what we wanted to talk about a little bit. Um, What did you guys make of this? Like, is this something that you are noticing or or not? Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. I think this is a very insightful article because the problem is completely real. I mean, uh, and like they say, uh, the the author of the article is a professor of photography. And when he was talking to his to his students, he said that he noticed how they just don't grasp the importance of narrative as a as a storytelling tool. Like they just focus on one image at a time. And he he realized this by asking them about the books they like, the movies they like, like trying to build a thread that sort of ties everything together Yeah, because they are all storytelling mediums and the narrative is a, a critical aspect of all of them. Right, yeah. So the fact that he realized that by talking to his students, I think was very, very telling. Like, he, like this is a real problem and it's younger people who are learning a new craft but they don't have the tools to learn everything about it because that that aspect is just losing relevancy in their everyday lives. And that's where social media actually is a part of the problem because uh, in the article, they talk about both Twitter and Instagram. Those are two very good examples where the focus is on very much the immediacy of the moment. It's just one tweet or one image that gets all the attention. There's not a way to link multiple images together on Instagram, for example. And to be fair, recently they did uh, sort of take a crack at improving that aspect with this this app that lets you have multiple uh, pictures on the same Instagram post, like Layout. Uh, layout, yeah. Layout, that's, that's what it's called. So I thought that was a clever way to sort of try to build a narrative into, into Instagram, but I don't, I don't think it's enough. I think that you're still basically confining multiple images to the same physical space, like the same rectangle. And that's just not good enough. You can do it if you know that it's important and if you want to do it. But I think the service itself should encourage you to try and do it. If I think about the most interesting Instagram profiles, that, that the ones that I like the most, they're almost always those that do this, that they have a coherent narrative spanning multiple images. That's something that resonates with me a whole lot. And if I look at my own profile, 
I realized I absolutely suck at this. Right. If you were to try to extract a narrative out of my Instagram profile, you would probably think I'm an alcoholic because it's all <laughs> pictures of beer and wine and whatever. That's the only common theme I can find <laughs> in my images. Uh, so it, it goes to show that even people like us who are, I, I like to think we are more in touch with the importance of photography as a creative, uh, uh, as a creative medium and, and a craft. Uh, even we do very poorly when it comes to building a narrative with our images. And that's something I personally absolutely need to get better at. This is going to be an interesting New Year's resolution for me personally. Yeah. And we'll see how, how well I do. But it was an eye-opener for sure. Yeah. I mean, the, the fascinating thing to me, and you you just mentioned this, is um, a lot of these social networks are geared around, like they're they're encouraging the obsession with single images. But um, hilariously enough, the it's Snapchat that's doing the opposite. And it's funny how that works because it, it kind of makes it so that social media is both part of the problem and part of the solution. Because um, when I look at Snapchat and specifically the usage of Snapchat among um, younger generations, it's got like, it's very heavily focused on the stories and stories are explicitly collections of imagery. That's the whole, that's, that's what they are. Um, and you know, there's the element of impermanence and everything like that, but, but fundamentally we are talking about, um, creating successful and appealing micro narratives within Snapchat, you know, and that's the, that was, I think their most brilliant addition to the platform. And it's one that we saw Instagram adopt in their own thing, also called stories. Um, so it's almost like it, we're swinging back the other way a little bit, which to me is encouraging, right? It's, it's, um, an admission that perhaps we, uh, we're missing something with the single image focus of original Instagram. And, and we're now kind of trying to recapture some of that. Um, but it sucks for for um, the generations that grew up just before this um, and, and grew up sort of in between, like after when we did, um, because we were, I, I feel like we were exposed to narrative a lot more, perhaps uh, even in, in education and in the sorts of games that we played and things like that. Like narrative was just a, a more central aspect of things, whereas uh, more recently, there's there's been a transition in general culturally towards more bite-sized pieces of information, um, small instant gratification type experiences. And that's left, uh, I, I think, a, a large group of uh, people bereft of this appreciation for narrative, which uh, is is what uh, Grant is talking about in the article. It's it, That's contributing to their inability to properly structure their stories when it comes to photography because they don't have a background understanding of narrative structure and of the appeal of that kind of thing to draw from. So they're, they're left kind of scrambling and it's just a foreign concept to them. Um, and what I'm hoping is that things like Snapchat stories, um, they're going to close that gap a little bit for, for upcoming generations so that um, an appreciation for narrative is brought back. Um, it may not be in the form of, of books and things like that um, as it was for us, but it's still, it's still going to exist in some form and, and will hopefully um protect this skill a little bit because I think it's important and I think that uh, in a lot of cases an image is stronger um, in context with other images rather than just on its own you know even the best images like if you if you know the story around it if you have other images to set the scene it's often stronger than if you were to just see it on its own yeah yeah definitely and it's also affecting this this lack of narrative in general is affecting all creative arts all, all creative mediums is it's, it's not just limited to photography or or movies yeah. or whatever 
uh, for example, uh, the, the, the example that comes uh, to my mind most often is music. And you'll, you'll be very familiar with it, with this, Marius, which is that 10 years ago, 15 years ago, people used to listen to albums and today we listen to songs. Yeah. And there's a huge difference there, not necessarily in the way people listen to music and consume music, but actually artists themselves, they don't really do albums anymore. They just do collections of songs. And there's a massive difference. Uh, the listening experience is completely, completely different. Uh, I remember I, I grew up with uh, vinyl records from my dad's collection. I still keep them for myself. I still play them. And the whole experience of listening an album from beginning to end, you pick up on the narrative a lot more uh, clearly. Like you, the, the many albums start on a on a note, and then they go uh, they go more uh, towards a more exciting rhythm, and then they go back down. That there's a field and there's a flow to the music from the beginning to the album to the end, and that's I think being lost these days. So that's just another example of how narrative is in very much in danger of disappearing because of the way people consume art and entertainment these days that is all about the now it's all about this very moment and you kind of forget about everything else yeah okay so so we, we keep talking about how this is a bad thing how narrative it losing narrative is a bad thing my question is more like like um perhaps it's just evolving like now instead of having a narrative across a span of images or across a span of fo- of songs in an album. Like now that narrative is more uh, concentrated or, or um, more of a microcosm in within one image. I think that like at the end of the day though, like this narrative is still in order to be successful in any sort of field, you're still going to have a narrative, whether that expands across a photo album, whether that expands across a music album or whether that expands across a decade of single hits, like, you know, we still go on this journey with Taylor Swift as she starts as a, a young singer and as a young country singer and develops into a pop singer. And like, just because her songs are singles doesn't mean that her, her narrative doesn't exist. Yeah, it's fair enough. So this, the same, the same would be said for a photographer. I would argue that, um, it, I, I, I loved how you pointed out how the Instagram feed in and of itself is a narrative. There are a bunch of single images, but they all kind of tell the same or tell some sort of story from start to finish. So that's a, that's a really good analogy. Um, but I don't think that it's necessarily a, a horrible thing. I just wonder if maybe the narrative is spaced out differently. You know, uh, the, the peaks and valleys are far longer or far shorter and, and a little more sporadic. Uh, to say that it's a bad thing, I don't know if, we, if there's like a, a spectrum of good or bad. I just wonder if maybe the the timing perhaps of it is changing. Well, the intentionality of it is lost. I yeah, think. There, there's that. And there's a, a potential lack of depth, which is really what worries me. I don't mind if the structure of narrative changes, but I worry that because um, the structure changes, we might end up with narratives that just don't reach as far and aren't quite as provocative and, and maybe not as affecting because we never spend enough time with them to really have, to give them room to develop and to affect us. Um, but yeah, it's it's not necessarily a bad thing. Mm-hmm. But, but, but wouldn't you argue that like, I I, I mean it's I, I I keep going back to the music industry, but you got to think that current artists are focusing more specifically on the hit, 
as opposed to the album as a whole. And therefore, is the same amount of time and the same amount, same amount of creative energy going into it? Yes, it is. If anything, we're getting it in more concentrated doses. And I would say the same thing for photography. We're getting it in more concentrated doses. We might not see a photo album, but we get to see one image, which is the very, very best of that person's work. And then maybe we get to see another very, very best image a year from now. You know, in the end, I think we're still left with the same amount of creative energy, the same amount of narrative. It's just sporadically, the timing is different. Well, the, the same amount of creative energy, yeah, I'll give you that. But the same amount of narrative, I don't think so, because we're losing the, for example, to go back to the music example, we are losing the album as a narrative uh, form of of expression. Like an artist used to be able to tell a story in 10, 12 songs. Now they have to tell that same story in one song or two songs. And that just... Or they spread it out over a 10-year time frame and tell the story out of a 10-year time frame. That's all I'm trying to say. Yeah, yeah no, I, I, I get it. I get it. The, what I'm trying to say is that if you enjoy albums the way I do, for example, you're losing that. And yes, you're getting something else in return that maybe you didn't get before. But it's it's not necessarily worse, but it is different. And time is important here. You cannot process the same range of emotions in a three-minute song as you can in a 45-minute album. That's just the way we work. We need time to feel. We need time to deal with our feelings and our emotions. And an album can take you on, a, on an emotional roller coaster that is just fantastic. And to do the same thing in a in a single song is a lot more difficult if not impossible so that part of it is what is in danger of disappearing and that's what makes me a little bit concerned uh, that we're losing patience we're losing our attention spans are getting shorter and shorter and we're just giving up on these experiences because they they're just not worth it we're too busy to care enough to put the time that it takes to listen to an hour long uh, album for example and it's the same with photographs and the, the technology is part of the problem and the solution, of course. And the example that they give in the article about photography, which is that when you used to print the contact uh, sheet from your negatives, you, you immediately had a bird's eye view of all your images from that role. And that's, you're seeing the narrative with your very eyes in front of you. And that's the first step before you decide which images you're going to print, which images you're going to focus on. You get to see them all at once. We don't do that anymore. We just look at an image, isolate it from the rest, and yes, you, you keep it in the back of your mind that the other ones are also there, but it's not really the same thing. And it's just different. I don't know if it's better or worse in the case of photography. I do know that in the case of music, I like it less. I enjoyed it more the way it was. <laughs> I agree with you on the music front, but I, I can actually give an example. Uh, Josh, this is something that just occurred to me um, just to, to illustrate what concerns me. Like, for example, you took a wonderful trip recently. And um, in the wake of that trip, you posted about it in various ways. You posted individual images on Instagram, but you also posted longer form travel logs on the newsprint where you had a series of photos. And you have that skill. You know how to take several images and weave them together into a narrative form. And while you can extract one of those images and put it on Instagram and I can appreciate it and I can get some sense of the story behind it from that post, 
there's a lot more meat on the bones of the full post that you're able to create, right? The fact that you right. still have the ability to do that and the knowledge of how to select those images, how to arrange them, um, it equips you to tell a deeper version of that story. And it's a story that for me is much more involving than the single frame. Even if that single frame happens to be the best shot from your trip, it's great, but it's still a shallower narrative experience than you uh, showcasing for me the entire album, even if it had no words, I would still get more out of it. Right? No, this is, I'm glad that we're on the same page. Yeah. I think, I think what this article is getting at is just that, um, generations coming into photography right now are getting really good at selecting that key image. They're getting really good at knowing where to put it and how to get people to engage with it, but they're not really picking up the skills that you have that, you know, the rest of us, um, have, gathered over time and and just because of our experiences in how to take several images and work with them that way as well and how to sort of get more impact out of them um, because we are essentially forcing people to be a little more patient, right? I mean, we write longer articles, we write, uh, we assemble bigger albums and it's not, they don't have to be these vast epics. It's just a matter of um, having that longer form thing as an option. And I think the only thing is that it's shifting, right? No one's saying that that's going away. It's just, it's becoming less prevalent. And as a result, if people are learning uh, or, or not learning how to do that, we might see it slowly disappear and slowly go away to the point where it becomes a rarity. And unfortunately, because of what happens to attention spans, the less we're challenged to focus on something, uh, the harder it becomes to do so, right? And that's why so many people these days have trouble reading novels and things like that because we have fewer opportunities to do so. So when we go into it, we're like, oh my God, I got to check my phone. I got to do this. I got to, you know, it's it's a struggle. It becomes a struggle. Well, I'm glad that we're both talking about the same example because I was I was going to say like, I'm, currently I'm working on my own personal portfolio that I, I really hope to launch like January 1 or January 2. But anyway, I'm, I'm putting together a bunch of photo stories. Now these photo stories, they're much like, um, like Alvaro's on Analog Senses where you have a bunch of photos and I, I've been struggling with like, I look at my Lightroom library and I, I look at all the flag photos and my favorites and I go, okay, like I, th- I love this photo, but like, does it fit? Does it fit within 15 images from this location? Yeah. And um, now while you had said that, I think that the, the, a loss of narrative across a span of images is lost because of attention spans, it could equally be lost as well because of the time the dedication that it takes to do 15 of them and to know what fits together. It's very difficult to choose 15 images that fit together. So as a result, like this is supposed to be a a personal portfolio, but like, I'm not even sure if I'm, I'm showcasing my best imagery, the best work that I've done because, because they don't necessarily all fit together in one story. So anyway, I, I, without a doubt, I'm, I'm relating with you guys. I, I, um, I'm trying to play a little bit of devil's advocate to create some discussion, but at the end of the day, it's very difficult, very, very, very difficult. And I'm, I'm by no means a master. I'm no means even, even good at it. All I'm saying is that I've been trying to create some sort of story with 10 images, 12 images at most. And I literally am done three out of 10 and it's taken me three weeks. Like it's, it's tough. Right. Yeah, but you just hit the nail on the head because this is the problem. I mean, the problem is not that people are consuming media in a different way than they used to. The problem is that because they feel like they're entitled to that form of media consumption, that sort of affects the way that media is created. And it's the problem is not that you can now choose to listen to just one song out of an album. The problem is that if everybody does that and demands 
to be able to do that. At the end of the day, musicians, they don't do albums anymore. They just do songs. So they lose the, the skill to craft an hour-long album. And it's the same thing with your photo stories. Because we are so focused on the single image, when we try to do something deeper, it's a whole lot more difficult because we don't have, or, or we, we haven't developed that skill because it's just not as effective or as successful uh, to capture people's attention. So it, the problem is that we're losing that skill And, and that's why this is whole in the concept in the context of students learning about photography. The, the professor is worried that their uh, that his students are losing this skill that they don't think it's an important skill to develop. That's where this becomes uh, worrisome for me personally. Of course, at the end of the day, you can choose to look at an image individually. You can choose to look at them uh, within the group they were originally intended. You can listen to just one song, you can listen to an entire album, you can just look at whatever you want. But I do think we should protect the skill when it comes to creating something of value. You know what stood out to me most in this article? Uh, it's actually this, uh, this notion of printing contact sheets. I don't know what it is about contact sheets, but it's such a, it's such like a classical feeling thing and i actually it's it's weird in a digital age but i actually have printed contact sheets before um i find it very helpful when you do uh especially product photography and you have like a lot of very similar shots and sometimes they can all just kind of blend together when you're looking at them in lightroom and for whatever reason just being able to sort of throw them around the room and step back and look at them and and circle the ones that you like Um, it, it can help in the culling process and in the final, um, the, the process of, of assembling them into a story. And I wonder if you guys have done that ever. Like I, I always felt, I felt weird doing it. It's not like I do this often, but I have done it before and it's, it feels a little strange and old fashioned, but it turns out it's actually quite a like pleasant way of, of working with larger volumes of photos. Well, I haven't done it with my digital files, but I have done it with my film shots. Right. Like every time I shoot a roll of film, I do get the contact sheet and then I, ha I get all the, uh, the actual prints of the images. So I have, I, I, I do uh, set those on a, on a desk or something and look at them uh, together. Yeah. But yeah, uh, with the digital images that I take, um, I don't really do that. The more, the, the closest to that that I do is to open them up all in Lightroom, you know, the mosaic view in Lightroom. Yeah, the grid, the grid view, yeah. The, yeah. yeah, the grid views where you get to see all of them. But that's really a poor substitute for what you're, for what you're talking about. Yeah, same here. Yeah, it's just a weird thing because it was interesting just to, you know, hear that suggested and be like, oh yeah, that's, there's, there might be, it might be worth doing that more often. Yeah, I can definitely see it. Yeah. So, um, so that's you know, I mean, this is an interesting topic, and I think uh, if you guys have any thoughts on on uh, the relative merits, I suppose of um, you know short versus long term storytelling and, and how it pertains to photography, you can you can reach out to us. But um, what I what I kind of wanted to end on because it it may be our our last show of the year is to sort of go around and ask what our photography resolutions are. For 2017, you know what what sorts of things we want to focus on with our photographic work and and just even pleasure photography in the coming year because it's you know as I just learned uh, it's all too easy to get caught up in the gear side of things and and to neglect 
the more relevant aspects of photography, which are, you know, they, they tend to be encapsulated in learning new skills or, you know, whatever the case may be. So um, I don't know who wants to go first, but what uh, what are you guys aiming to work on this year in terms of photography? Josh, the floor is yours. Oh, we got to step back and like think about this. I got BRB, you know, field notes, write some dogs <laughs> down. No, no. Um, uh, what do we think here? So, so one thing that my, my goal here, um, I, I, I'll say this like on the creative work in general, um, be it writing for tools and toys, writing for the sweet setup, writing for a couple other opportunities is like this idea of consistency. Uh, but like not only not necessarily the same voice, but like developing my voice, but then therefore developing a style of my own images that I can use in product reviews, in travel stories and whatever. So right. My, my, my goal for 2017 would be to like, you know, when I edit something, you see the photo and you go, yeah, like Josh shot that. Right. That, that's what I'd like. You said this to me one a few weeks back, Marius, like you had said, you know, you don't want to look at an image and think, oh, that was a serial magazine shot. And, and you know what? That resonated. Good, good, good call. Like I'd love to have, you know, a Josh Ginter style. Now it's really hard to come up with that style when I, you know, like so much of photography is not impersonation, but um, emulation of, of other people's styles. So I think it takes, you know, it's amazing. Like this whole photography journey, uh, I started in 2013, 2014, and I'm, it's now 2017. And I still don't feel like I know anything about photography. <laughs> and, you know, it, it's just an incredibly long journey and anybody who's experienced, well, they know that full well, and they probably just roll my, roll their eyes at what I'm saying now. And, and anybody who's just starting out is probably going, yeah, I can achieve that in like six months. Like, sorry, but you can't like, it, it takes this, it's, <laughs> it's long. Like it takes thousands and thousands of shutter snaps. It takes thousands of, of hours of editing in order to find a style, in order to find a consistency in, in the process, in your creative, uh, in the creative style, like anything. Um, it's difficult to find. And I, I, my goal for 2017 is just to move forward on that work closer to getting to a consistent, um, a consistent style in both writing, but specifically in photography. And, um, you know, I, I can great, I can rightfully say like, I'm, I'm not over the whole gear acquisition syndrome, but like I, it has not been yanking at my heart the way it has over the last year and a half. I'll say like, I, I have thought very little about, about camera acquisition stuff in, in the last little while. I want to get the 24 to 70 millimeter GM lens, the G, the G master lens in 2017, if only because it op- opens up more opportunities. Um, you know, I don't have to switch a lens in order to get the wide angle versus, uh, you know, a more portrait style shot. Um, that, that's the only reason I want to get something And it, it for the first time ever. It's not because, um, the lens is amazingly technically great. It's because it just gives me more opportunities to try and expand and, and create that consistent style. So anyway, that would be 2017 for me in a nutshell. I hope that when you see it, you go, yeah, that's Josh's work. Amazing. Um, sounds like an interesting year. Yeah. Definitely. Impossible, impossible <laughs> goal is more like it. I don't think it's ever happening, but it's worth working for. No, I think you're closer to developing your own uh, photographic style than you think. It happens to me all the time when sometimes I look at one of your images and I and I think, yep, this is definitely Josh at his best. Oh, hey, finally. In, Instagram, like Instagram, you know, when you look, you said this before, like the Instagram feed, right? You look at somebody's profile and you look at all their photos. Like I'd like those all to feel the same. And you know what? It's really, really pathetic because I just put a photo out there today of a top down shot of the MacBook Pro that I, that I put 
uh, used for a, a review on the suite setup. And then it just occurred to me, like I, the last 50 images were all like travel photos. Well, there goes that consistent style, like, geez, Josh. <laughs> so <laughs> dumb decision, but anyway, live and learn. No, I, I, I think that it fit actually. I, I really do because it's starting to, there's a language in your post-processing that's starting to um, assemble and, and that should ideally allow you to post whatever kind of subject matter you want, right? Like I don't, I don't know that, and, and maybe I'm wrong, but I don't, I don't think that you should be aiming for um, the kind of Instagram profile where you are always posting the same kind of shot of the same kind of subject. Because while those accounts tend to be very successful in terms of uh, internet points, they're not often, um, they, they, I, I don't admire those photographers as much simply because they are iterating on the same idea over and over and over again. And they're doing an excellent job as you, you know, practice makes perfect. But uh, I, I'm much more um, impressed by Instagram profiles where there's a common visual language. There's an aesthetic to the images, but the subject matter varies. There's some portraiture, there's some street, there's some landscape, there's whatever, because it shows a breadth of um, talent and skill and, and capability uh, in the photographer, right? They're not a one-trick pony. They're capable of doing, of, of shooting all sorts of things. And within that, they have a language. They have a, a consistent way of presenting their work. Um, and that's what ties it all together. It's not necessarily subject matter. I, I just, I think that that's a, a, an easy trap to fall into because again, it's it's very gratifying when you have consistently travel images, right? And then people love you and you get more followers and you get more likes because those kinds of images do well. Um, but is that really, like if, if your goal is to grow as a photographer, is that helping you grow as a photographer or is it helping you grow as an Instagram presence? Um, and those are two very different things. And I, I, I think that, um, as much as it's tempting and, uh, you know, appealing to, to grow both at the same time, I think ultimately, uh, you, you can't quite do both that way. Right. Unless you do one of those things where you have multiple Instagram accounts and that whole insanity, but <laughs> who's got the time for that? Uh, <laughs> right. Yeah. No, I, I would agree. And I, and I appreciate that for what it's worth. Um, I know when I hit the post button, I thought, oh, like I need to change things up a little bit here and there, but eh, and now I'm kind of second guessing. But anyway, long story short, consistency in work. I think that is fundamental to anybody who's successful in photography. I just on the outside looking in, I, I that's what it seems to look like. So that's the goal. Alvaro, now, or you know what? No, because you handed it off to me. I'm going to push it on Marius this time. He's got to go first. <laughs> okay. Well, I'm going to go. All I'm right. Going to go first, second. Um, second <laughs> you're right My, can't even count oh man the accountant who can't count <laughs> yeah, it's okay we're, we're artists not, uh, uh, well that's our excuse yeah you're right you can't uh, claim that anyway um my uh my resolution i've i've got um i've got two in the sense that, like so one of them for me is is also trying for that consistency but um Mine is a little different because my goal is to try and divorce that consistency from my post-processing workflow. Um, I would like to look for my voice in composition rather than in the uh, final output aesthetic. Um, and, I, and I feel like I'm, I'm starting to approach this, you know, years into this crap. <laughs> you, know, you were saying like you know, you've been at it for years and and people are rolling their eyes. I don't think they are. I think anyone who's been doing this for any span of time is going, yep, 
you know, I started, you know, three years ago, I started five years ago, I started 50 years ago, and I still feel like I know less and less because uh, like with any other craft, right, you you keep um, pushing those boundaries and, and realizing how little you know about stuff. But um, anyway, I, I would like to get to the point where I feel like my photography becomes recognizable, not so much because of the way I process it, but because of the um, the, the visual language, the way that I structure things in the frame, the sorts of subject matter that I shoot. Um, and so that's kind of the consistency that I'm, that I'm looking for is, is trying to find my voice on a purely optical level um, to the point where ideally it shouldn't matter how I process the image, whether I do it as a black and white, whether I do it as a serial style, everything is faded and I'm wearing glasses or, um, <laughs> it, you know, whatever visual aesthetic comes together um you're dangling driftwood <laughs> driftwood dangler no the or the uh, the um you know thoughtful hipsters in hats facing the other way that that kind of thing whatever i'm shooting um and however i process it i just i would like it to be recognizable because of the way that i've structured the image anyway that's the first one the second one um is a little uh how, how am i going to phrase it give me a second here i'm i'm because it occurred to me halfway through the previous one no pressure yeah, no pressure, right? I love these kinds of questions. We put, we put ourselves on the spot. We are very we are very comfortable with silence on this show. Yes, we are. <laughs> <laughs> I can go if you want, and then you you take it back from me. Yeah, you know what? You you go because it's yeah yeah. You go ahead. All right. So, I I almost uh, said it a while back uh, while we were discussing the article. I think I do need to work on my narrative, and that's definitely one of my New Year's resolutions for 2017. I do want to be able to tell stories, deeper stories. And it's just something that I haven't uh, ever really tried. So I'm, I'm looking forward to it. Hopefully, I'll, I'll manage to get some progress there. Uh, that's, that's one part of it. Another part of it, and this is where I'm going to play contrarian to you guys, uh, I am not interested in working on my consistency. It's pretty much the opposite for me. I want to get out of my comfort zone a whole lot in 2017 because before I I try to find a consistent style for me, I do think I need to try a lot of things that I still haven't tried. I need to go for different types of shots. I need to experiment a whole lot more. I don't think I'm ready to settle into one particular style yet. Uh, there's there's a lot to explore for me yet. And that's what I what I plan to do this year. I've been trying to do that consciously over the past few months already. And if you guys have paid any attention to my my recent reviews and articles, uh, I've been trying to come up with different product shots than the ones I used to do in the past. And and I'm gonna keep playing with things and see where they take me. Um, some of them will suck, I'm sure, but hopefully some of them will be interesting. And maybe by this time next year, maybe I'll be ready to start thinking about. Okay, let's settle down now that I've played around enough. Let's let's try to see where it all fits, uh, but but not yet for me. That's that's another thing, and that's uh, as, as part of uh, learning and and evolving as a photographer. I do want to get a whole lot better at lighting. I do want to play with multiple lights in my compositions, which is something I haven't really done before, other than in photography courses or anything. Uh, outside of academia, I haven't really experimented with, with that sort of thing. So that's high on my list. 
Definitely. I'm, I'm with you on that one. I'd love to. I, I, one of the purchases I budgeted for is a, a flash. The one, specifically the one that you have yourself. Right. I'd love to. I, I would love to start playing with those. So add that to my list too. Lovely flash. Yep. Uh, you, you reminded me that was, that was one of the things that I wanted to to deal with specifically um, strobe lighting, because a lot of the stuff that I do, like I'm fairly used to um, what's it called? Constant lighting just because of uh, all the video, video stuff. But flash photography is still uncharted territory for me in large part. And uh, it's something that I've been exploring a little bit over the past couple of months. Um, and I, I intend to definitely keep pushing in uh in 2017 because it it, it's like an entire dimension of uh control over the scene that you give up on if you are one of those photographers who's like i only shoot natural light because i'm terrified of flashes yeah um you know i don't i i'm tired of being that guy right I, i would like to um i would like to learn i would like to um master strobe photography um because it it's a huge part of being a professional photographer, I think being able to bend the light to your will, regardless of your environment is the whole point, right? I mean, it's, there's only so much that you can learn about the, the mechanics of the camera itself. At some point you have to admit to yourself that photography is about light. And that's the main struggle is controlling that and, and wrestling that in all kinds of different, uh, scenarios. So yep. that's, that's kind of the, the other half of what I was, uh, forgetting earlier and has now come back to me is is lighting so it sounds like we all have that one we've got that one together we can uh we can do a course <laughs> we should maybe we should maybe we should do a seminar yeah or a webinar which is how the cool kids say it these days yeah. <laughs> uh you know a good uh example with the lighting thing i was um editing a photo here recently that um you know what i was back it was backlit right um and i got the shot and i thought the sun looked cool and i kept like increasing the exposure and doing like brush edits on a part that was kind of blacked out or dark, darker. And then I went, Holy crap, I could do this. You know, and I wouldn't even have to edit it. I would just need a flash. Even if it was, if it was landscape photography, one little flash would do the difference for that photo. So anyway, that's, yeah. Couldn't agree more. Maybe, uh, maybe if other people are finding themselves like using a brush edit and like editing a specific portion, like a little circle or somebody's face or something, they'll go, Oh, I could do that with a flash instead. Yep. It unlocks a whole new world of creative possibilities, definitely. So that's, uh, you know, those are our resolutions, but I'm I'm really interested uh, to hear what other people are, are planning for uh, 2017 in terms of photography resolutions. So if you're listening and you've got some different ones of your own, by all means, tweet them at us because uh, we can talk about them on the show and, and chances are good that you... Um, will have thought of something smarter and uh, more interesting and and we can all learn collectively from uh, fr- from whatever you guys are pursuing because ultimately we're we're all in this together and the whole point of the show is is to talk about the things that we all face you know on on this journey regardless of of where uh, we're at individually so um, as always do please share that stuff with us and I guess it's also worth saying um, thank you uh, this has been a crazy you know, full year and a bit now of, uh, of doing this show. And, uh, because it's the end of the year, it's, it's a good time, I think, to just pause and reflect and, and express our gratitude for all of you who are listening, because I don't know about you guys, but I certainly did not think that, uh, that we'd still be doing this, uh, after so much time. I mean, it's, it's something that I look forward to every week when we are on a weekly schedule and, uh, it's, it's amazing. I can't wait to see what, what happens with the show as well in the next year. 
Yeah, me too. And and that reminded me of an, another New Year's resolution, which is to finally get to a weekly schedule on the show. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that might involve me having to quit my job. Oh, well, well, well. Maybe you guys will just have to drop me from the show. Just drop me, then you're going to go. <laughs> no, never. We'll just get you fired. <laughs> never. And, uh, and just one final, one final reminder for our lovely listeners. Be aware and remember... Santa gives the best presents to nice people who leave nice iTunes reviews for the shows they like. <laughs> I've heard that. I've heard that. It's I'm true. just saying. Yeah. Everybody oh. knows that. Oh, guys. So there Merry, you go. Merry Christmas to everybody. There you go. <laughs> happy holidays, folks. We'll see you after. Happy holidays and happy 2017.